Christian feast day it is on October 27th. Are you are you spooky in some way? I, not, not not really. It's just it's not quite Halloween yet, obviously. No, no, it's but, not. You know, no. it's it, it, it's near enough to Willie's up time, and yet obviously this year everything's scary enough. I think we're just kind of yeah, that's, just that's just, fair. Just, just not, <laughs> just not. It's fine. Uh, I mean, I could have gone. Ooh, it's Flag Day in Greece. I mean. The concept of a flag day in general is slightly confusing. Oh, I am Navy Day, brackets, United States, brackets, unofficial, because the official date is October 13th. So, I mean, is this is this the way you're going to do all the uh, all the calendar events this time? No, of course not. No, of course Good. not. I've got another one. I've got my uh, my vampire. Go on then. I want to suck your world day for audiovisual heritage, a day chosen by UNESCO to signify the preservation of recorded sound and audiovisual documents! (laughs) No. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very spooky ish Don't Let's Chart! The spook free since oh three Ben Becker. And I'm Phil Casserell. I don't think there's any ghosts, but I'll check. I, I mean, if Ghostbusters had used that as a tagline, Ghostbusters, I, I don't I don't think there's any ghosts. Ghostbusters is probably fine. It's, it's probably damp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure they've had the same cultural impact. But this is Let's Chart. This is a programme all about us going through the history of October 27, finding out interesting things, and basically, again, we're just hiding in the past because the present is a terrifying place hmm. and it's nothing to do with Halloween. <laughs> no, it's really not. And uh, we start in 1871. Right. This is uh, all about a democratic leader, mm-hmm. William Magia Tweed. It's a good name. But I've picked this because his nickname was Boss Tweed. Boss Tweed. <laughs> like it. Uh, and he was arrested after the New York Times exposed his corruption, which they found out two years later was uh, six million stolen from New York. In 1871 money? Yeah. Oh, and uh, it was sentenced to 12 years imprisonment. Didn't do it because in 1975 he escaped from jail. <laughs> uh, fled to Spain where he worked as a seaman. Stop it. Caught again in 1876. He agreed to rat out the people and basically be a stool pigeon in, in order to get a, a release uh, or, or at least a very relaxed sentence. The governor agreed to and I uh, said, ah, I had cross fingers. No, <laughs> no, it's at max. Uh, and so sadly, old boss Tweed died in jail in 1878. And the later found out he was convicted for stealing an amount reckons is between actually 25 and 45 million but later estimates possibly that possibly 200 million <laughs> okay so yeah, that's that's not as greedy as some men uh, what, what do you mean you mean mr greedy from the mr men <laughs> i've I mean, seen that documentary he ate loads sausages jelly Jelly with sausages in it. It's brilliant. It may surprise you to learn, Ben, that Mr. Greedy is not even amongst the most greedy people that have ever lived. 
for you. Mm. I've prepared this and it just mm. happens to coincide. Top 10 best corruption scandals that that there have been. I've done it. <laughs> All the best corruptsmen. All of the best. A sobering look at <laughs> bastards, which we're going to start, presumably, at 10. Uh, yes, number 10, right. Uh, Siemens. Did you know, Ben, that not only did German law not worry about bribes being paid abroad, but were, they were in fact tax deductible for German companies up until 1999. 1999? Uh, 1999. So apparently you could categorise these bribes as useful expenditures as long as they were not incurred in Germany and there were no actual state officials involved. So you could bribe private individuals, but not, <laughs> not people from the state. However... It turned mm. out in 2006 that Siemens had been paying bribes for over a decade to government officials, civil servants around the world, amounting to 1.4 billion US dollars worth of bribes. That's that's a lot of uh, handheld devices. Yes, indeed it is. Uh, but because Siemens, as well as mobile phones, does big electrical engineering projects, this was obviously attached to the cost of those projects. So people in those affected countries were paying the price of uh, oh. of roads, power plants, etc. Um, so they were yeah. they were eventually caught out. Several countries, including the US and Germany, launched investigations and secured a historic sanction of one point six billion which Bloody presumably hell. will then be passed on to all of Siemens' existing customers. Number nine! Number nine. Uh, right. Sani Abacha. I've probably pronounced that wrong, as I often do. So he was a Nigerian army officer and dictator who served as president from ninety three to 1998. Are you t- wait, are you telling me there was some sort of corruption in a dictatorship? I can't. Ooh. I refuse to believe. Indeed. So it was known that he was fairly corrupt, uh, but the full extent wasn't known because it turned out after he died that he had taken somewhere between three and five billion dollars of public money. I assume that was just in a massive pillowcase or something like that. They've, they've still not got it all back. So the, the US Justice Department a few years ago uh, froze 458 million of those funds that had been hidden around the world. Nigeria's trying to get it back, but companies that are linked to a batcher. Uh, keep going to court to prevent the money from being returned back. But rec- uh, recently, recently, wow. Jersey has announced that it's putting 268 million into an asset recovery fund that will go back to Nigeria. So that's that's Jersey noted tax haven is going. Yeah, no, this is wrong. This is we should yeah. we should give this back. I mean, if there's anything that's going to bring Bergerac back, that is definitely the case. Uh, number eight. Alberto Fujimori, which is a superb name, former president of Peru, who somehow got two-thirds approval rate from his citizens while standing trial for human rights violations, which he managed by using a significant chunk of his his country's intelligence service budget to bribe literally everyone. Mm. He embezzled $600 in public funds, ran away to Japan, uh, where he achieved a record. He became the first elected head of state to be extradited to his home country, tried and convicted. So uh, Now, you see, I don't know a lot about Peru, but if you decided to run away to Paddington Station, yes. uh, I would have happily believed that person you were talking about was a bear. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if, if the Paddington film had opened with a bear with a sign around his neck saying, please look after this bear or my death squads will deal with you, it would be slightly closer to the story of this guy. But Number seven. Ramzan Kadyrov of Chechnya had set up essentially a fund in quote marks, which functions... <laughs> 
God. functions very much as a bribe to keep your job. So in Chechnya, you you pay an unofficial tax into this fund, which is controlled by the head of the republic, which does get used for things like building homes and building mosques, and it's provided the international age. But also, it seems to have paid for his 35th birthday party and the celebrities that attended it, a $2 million boxing session with Mike Tyson, and 16 motorbikes <laughs> that he gifted to a nationalist oh. biker gang. No, let's just do six. Let's do six. Six. Tunisia. All of it. Or, well, kind of. Uh, if you go to, to Tunisia, Ben, you cannot get a Big Mac. Do you know why you can't get a Big Mac in Tunisia? And because everyone's eating that one where it's two bits of chicken <laughs> as the sandwich. <laughs> That's KFC. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. Oh, yeah. Because the McDonald's franchise was awarded to a business that didn't have any connections to the ruling family and the government stopped the fast food chain from entering the country. So, really? yeah, from 87 to 2011, President Ben Ali came up with laws that meant companies needed permission to invest and trade in certain sectors. So he just shut down stuff that was not uh, part of his inner circle. It doesn't say here that Ben Ali was scared of clowns, but I think it's reasonable to assume. <laughs> All grimaces, you know. The might not even have a word for grimaces. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, Uncle Grimace. The Ukraine. Former President Viktor Yanukovych had a great big mansion, 137 hectare estate. The the mansion included things like an ostrich farm. I mean, standard. Golf course, private zoo, and... Ostrich golf. Full-size Spanish galleon replica. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Now... (laughs) Now, now naturally, all of this was, was basically nicked from the state allegedly made 40 billion dollars in state assets disappear and ukraine's only covered one and a half billion of them it's not real at this stage when it gets to that level it's just not it's real. not real unless yeah. yeah it's for paying for massive infrastructure projects or apparently for the owner of amazon to go to the moon i don't really understand why oh dear. number four Venezuela. This is this is essentially a, a currency change scam. This is this is a massive scale version of you know swapping money around in a till. Mm. So only certain people can exchange currencies at the official rate in Venezuela. Mm. The official rate of exchange from US dollars to Venezuelan bolivars is one to ten. However, that's nowhere near what anyone else thinks Venezuelan bolivars are worth. So you can go on the black market and buy them at 100 to 1. So a bunch of government officials went and bought millions and millions Mm -hmm. of bolivar for X amount and then traded them on the official exchange for X times 10 amount. Wow. Yeah. That's... That's here you go. Here's some worthless money. I mean, yeah, it's like saying, yeah, no, there you go. There's a tenner. I know it has Darren Day on it, but I can assure <laughs> you, it is it is very legit. The ten has Darren Day on. The twenty, the fifty, and the fives all have the fiancés of Darren Day on. <laughs> Number three. Number three. Right. This I can't say this one, but I'm going to try it anyway. Teodorin Obiang, who is from Equatorial Guinea. He's got an Instagram account which celebrates luxury living, showing off his mansions, million dollars worth of Michael Jackson memorabilia, and supercars. Guess how he pays for these things, Ben? Uh, Is it stealing? Yes. uh, Horrendously. Yes, it is. Equatorial Guinea has the highest per capita income in Africa, but three quarters of its population lives in poverty. Now, if you do the maths... Uh. 
that is, let's see, da, 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 morally repugnant. Uh, yeah. So since 1979, the Obiang family has uh, has stolen billions of dollars. Basically, uh, he's been. It's caught up with him several times. The U.S. Mm-hmm. Department of Justice prosecuted him for money laundering, seized thirty millions worth of assets in 2014. The French yeah. authorities found him guilty of embezzlement and confiscated thirty-five million dollars worth of assets. And Switzerland seized twenty-four of his supercars. Oh, but how many of his Spanish galleons did they get? <laughs> Number two. Number two. I thought we'd go to America for this one. The Teapot Dome scandal. Early 1920s, 1921 to 1923. Secretary of Interior, get ready. Albert Bacon Fall. <laughs> it, no one's more upset than Albert when... Uh, <laughs> when his bacon falls, fa- yeah. Fallen, fa- fallen <laughs> bacon. Do not want, no one wants fallen bacon. Whenever I drop bacon on the floor, I say, Oh, Alberts. That's... Yeah, I say, oh, Richard. Do you? Who was a, who was a fallen bacon? Oh, I suppose the it was, yeah. in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Albert Bacon Fall, right. So he uh, leased some petrol reserves at Teapot Dome in Wyoming, which is a place, not, not a literal teapot in a dome. There was no competitive bidding process. Baconfall took some bribes from the oil companies and became the first presidential cabinet member to go to prison. I certainly hope he's not the last. <laughs> and the number one top corruption style event-based situation is... Uh, right, Lebanon. We all like Lebanon. Uh, by the Human League, yeah. Indeed. Um, since 2015, Lebanon has had a real problem with rubbish. So there's mm. rubbish bags everywhere. There's extreme stench. There's water contamination. Extreme stench. Uh, extreme stench. So Beirut and Mount Lebanon's main waste disposal company just, just stopped picking the rubbish up. Um, Isn't this a Simpsons plot? It's not far off. The company had been a monopoly since the 90s. It was forced to close an overflowing landfill. <laughs> Good. <laughs> which was used for 12 years longer than it should have been. Uh, and then it didn't have anywhere to put the rubbish. So it, it just stopped collecting it whilst also continuing to be paid for it. Oh, God. So that's that's good. Um, now, the reason that I've left this one to the last, Ben, is because the scandal provoked a popular movement called You Stink, <laughs> which called for the government to clean up its streets and corruption problems. <laughs> Who stinks now? Lebanon is yeah. the answer. Ben. Yeah, you could attack as many goats as you like into Lebanon for ball games. They wouldn't even buy an eye. <laughs> Hooray! Oh, dear. And that is the most corrupt stinkers <laughs> in time of pastness. Thanks. <laughs> Words. 1925 water skis were patented by Fred Waller. Oh, I'd like to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we continue with the inventions in 1938 as DuPont announced its new synthetic polyamide fiber, nylon. That's a good name. Created by the even better named Wallace Carruthers. Good. <laughs> the original name was No Run, but then someone said they do run. <laughs> <laughs> And so they swapped the vowels round to be neuron, which no. then they thought sounded like a nerve tonic. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say. So it became N-I-L-O-N. They put a Y in it to look continental uh, and interesting for their new product. And, and, and clearly, very successful. 
you uh, ask any man with a pencil moustache in a 1940s drama slash comedy, he has got <laughs> a pocket full of that shit. <laughs> Personally, I would have called them Jimmy Newt Ron. <laughs> I didn't think I'd say this, but do you think the robot could interrupt us with something, Ben? <laughs> People, listener question incoming. Thank God. If you want to send in a question, you can do that. Uh, you can send an email to dotletschat.gmail.com mm-hmm. or use speakpipe.com slash yes. chat. No one's used the speakpipe as we record this chat. I don't understand what's <laughs> apprehensive or upsetting people about that. I can't understand why they have I think pipe. it's because it's called Speakpipe and what? you keep saying things like speak into my pipe. It's real. I promise it's real. Anyway, question slot. Dear Ben and Phil, everybody knows that Steve Guttenberg's best film is 2002's P.S. Your Cat is Dead, but apparently he made some films in the 80s I was wondering if you could search your special specific Gutenberg records and tell me what was the best film he made between 1984 and 1987. Thanks so much for your attention to this. Yours sincerely, Paul, Beatles please, Abbott. P.S. I am writing this in my own blood. Oh, well, now Mm. you're asking. I mean, you know, obviously, when you think of the pantheon of people who were in police can't be left after four of them you know it's it's a it's a hallowed ground well i mean i think paul paul's been uh paul's been canny here because mm. 84 to 87 does contain steve gutenberg's full police academy run would you would you like to come on a a journey with me through the 84 to 87 <laughs> times of of steve gutten journey yeah Let's so, get on the gutten bus. Toot, toot. So how many films did you say he did in that uh, period? He did 11. 11 films. That's not bad. That's not bad going. It, well, you say it's not that bad, but four of them are Police Academy films. So <laughs> he left after four. but And they really cranked them out as well. They, mm. they did one a year between 84 and 87. Which I imagine was enough for Steve Gutenberg to go, you know what, I'm, I'm all right. I've had yeah, no, it's, just, it's like, you know, when you shut your eyes and you see Bobcat go through it, <laughs> pretending Indeed. that's his voice. Indeed. So let, let's let's go through. So 84 Police Academy, first mm. one, which for all its faults was at least doing something a little bit risque at the time. Yeah, yeah was... a solid 7 out of 10. Yep. 85 Police Academy 2. I reviewed this for an episode of John Rain's Smirch Pod. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it is, it's a mess. It's literally, mm. you can tell it's like, come out very very quickly after the original because it's like it's just stuff happening there's a vague plot there's like a gang which bobcat goldthwaite's controlling and then obviously they like him so much as a character he just goes oh i'm good now and joins uh in place can be three yeah we're we're skipping ahead we've got two more 1985 films to get through ben before we can talk about uh, cocoon Cocoon and bad medicine oh um I do not want any of Steve Guttenberg's bad medicine, thank you. I mean, Cocoon, notable for the fact that Wilfred Brimley is in it being old, and he only died this year. (laughs) That was 30 years ago at this point. Yeah, it's also notable for nothing, literally nothing. You know what's worse than Cocoon? Cocoon 2. Cocoon the Return, (laughs) I believe. He's, uh, He's back. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a repeat. It's TV cocoon. Uh, so yeah, ba- bad medicine. 
um, I hadn't even heard of. Nope. Uh, I'm checking Wikipedia. It was criticized for its negative ethnic stereotypes. So let's move on. <laughs> okay, what did you do in 86? Uh, Police Academy 3, back in training, no. as we've established. Yeah, yeah. Anything and, else? Uh, short Circuit, which uh, I believe was criticized for its negative ethnic stereotypes. <laughs> I can't understand which character that might be. Oh, oh dear. And and you've 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 got another uh, you've got a police academy connection in short circuit. Oh, that's right cuz police academy 4 is when they're all replaced by sassy robots. <laughs> no, G GW Bailey, the guy that plays um Harris, who plays basically Harris in this except yes, he's, yeah, he's, he's plays a jerk in that. He's a security guard basically, yeah. Can move on quickly. We can. So 1987, we've got... So Three Men and a Baby is in there. Uh, Directed by... Leonard Nimoy. Yes. I believe. And what's weird is that there's a German version I've seen okay. uh, in the 90s of the Three Men and a Baby uh, story uh, with Michael Winslow in. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. I refuse. And, and, and it's called Zartlich Chaoten. But the English name is Three Crazy Jerks. <laughs> Three chaotic, unlucky fellows will try anything to get the money together for a baby, of which any of them could be the father. So I think it's if it's not a direct uh, yeah. version, it's very, very loosely based, but yeah. Uh, and there is a sequel, which apparently translates to Lovable Zanies 2. <laughs> Well, good. In Lovable Zanies 2, three chaotic unlucky fellows travel back in time. That That's a very loose sequel. To prevent the conceiving of their sinister boss. So I'm thinking it might not be that much of a direct no, it seems, of it, seems... but it, it's still quite close. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Back to the Gutenberg bus. Yes. <laughs> so we've, we, there's, there's the bedroom window, which is a, a neo-noir film. Oh, so he went, right, I'm going to do serious yeah. stuff now. He did uh, Surrender, a comedy film starring him, Sally Field, Michael Caine, Peter Boyle, and Iman. That's a hell of a cast. It really is, considering I'm assuming it must be dreadful if neither you or I have never heard of it. No, not a clue. And then we've we've got left Amazon Women on the Moon. Amazon Women? On the Moon. I love that film. You're a big fan it's, it's, it's a very uneven film because it's a sketch comedy film, obviously. Yeah. But it's just one of those that BBC One seemed to bang out a lot at like midnight. That leaves us with his, his final 1987 film, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, which is the Police Academy film I've seen the most often, I think. Yeah, I think I've probably seen it more as well. I think I think it's it's the one of the ones that approaches being family friendly much more than the others do. I got uh, I got I got a shout out on Radio One because of this film. It was uh, the late nineties, really? and they were talking about Sharon Stone's film The Muse. They were saying that it was her first comedy film, and and I emailed in to say, uh, technically, um... Police Academy Four counts as a comedy and she was <laughs> definitely in that so uh so they, they did correct themselves i think it was when james king was doing the uh the film stuff on joe wiley's show i was yeah, okay so yeah that's uh so do i have to pick one i think you, you we've, we've got to say what was his best film from that period and it's, i think it's three men and a baby i i think it's three men and a baby because 
it was uh, a fun film, a family film, but also they managed to do it whilst uh, working through the tragedy of that young boy who died on the set and whose ghost can be very clearly seen uh, behind uh, some of the actors and it's not a cutout of Ted Danson. <laughs> I mean... That's... All of these films are just they, they were just there. They were just there. They were. You, you're right. The best one is Surrender that none of us have seen or heard of until today. We can't be as disappointed by it, but uh, as we have by the films we've seen. <laughs> I don't make love before the first date. It's about money. It's about time for a romantic comedy like Surrender. Ah! Sally Field. You're a weird person, aren't you? Michael Caine. Penthouse. Steve Gutenberg. You're insensitive, immature. So what? It never bothered you before. Uh, Surrender. Uh, uh, I always end up in embarrassing positions with you. Not a lucky streak. Ready, PG. And we stay in the mid-80s for our next uh, historical happening, which was quite big at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember there being quite a lot of fanfare. As in 1986, BBC One finally put a daytime service out. Wow. Uh, after years of just like, basically, you just know until about four. That is like distressingly that. late that that happened. It, well, I suppose, looking back at what's happened since, yeah, it does seem that, because, you know, this is a lot of work. It's a lot, a lot of stairs. <laughs> Can I not just have a nap? <laughs> yeah. I approve of the idea of telly having a nap. I'm fine with that. Back then, I was so infused. More telly. Oh, more telly. And actually, looking back, no telly is all right. <laughs> Experience of nothing. It's fine. But uh, for those who are now very unfair with what BBC One put on during the day, which uh, a lot of people became aware of this yeah, about, year. about six months ago, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it's, it wasn't all Dominic Littlewood bellowing and, <sighs> uh, you know, basically people saying these people will come, smash your window and shit on your carpet if you don't buy a bigger lot. It's just all terrifying. It's all horrible on <laughs> daytime. Uh, but back then, it was a little bit different. It took them a while to get their uh, their feet under the table. Right. As we're going to find out as we go through that first day's daytime schedule. Hooray! It started at five past nine with a one-off documentary called Who's a Pretty Girl Then? Mm-hmm. In 1983, yes. uh, 19,000 girls aged between three and nine were entered. For the Miss Pairs 1983 competition. Sorry, what? there was a spa- there's a big space. No, there. it's very funny that you did that. Yeah, it's good. The six finalists spent two days in London waiting to discover which of them would be chosen as Miss Pairs. Miss Pairs? Yeah. And uh, take home the £1,000 prize money. So I'm guessing that was a repeat, but it was still like a, let's put something sort of enriching on in the morning. But but was that, this like sponsored by pears? What's the... I, I assume back then people were still eating soap, as we'd established last week. Oh, wait, but... pears soap? I thought it was like literal pears. <laughs> <laughs> Look, don't, Ian, don't... Ian Pears of the Pear Magnet. I want you to remember, Ben... That during the 80s, when you still got adverts for milk as well as for lamb, you know, just the general concept of these things rather than any specific brand. So the idea that there was an advert for just pears is not beyond the pale. He doesn't say. I'm actually guessing that, to be fair. <laughs> I'm assuming it was pear soap. Could have just been like they came out in a pear costume. <laughs> exactly. This is my oh, no. point. It's technically oh, no. possible. It is uh, anything's possible. And uh, we continue 
the possibility at 9.45 with One in Four, a magazine programme about disabled people, their families and carers, which I imagine was boring if you were disabled. <laughs> yeah. Boring if you weren't. Yeah. Is it that one in four people at that point, had, well, or, or indeed now, have some some form of, of disability? I don't know. I don't know. I assume so. Uh, we could ask the person at 10.25. Oh, no, it's Philip Schofield. Uh... <laughs> what's, what's he doing here? He's doing the birthday greetings and introducing Play School, right. which was presented by that classic Play School host, Stuart McGuigan. Uh, although Carol Shell came on as a guest. As someone who has, you know, I have I have two children. I have relied on the existence of the CBB's channel as well as the CBBC channel. The idea of having to wait until 10.25 yeah, for anything like, to come on is horrific. And you got Play School, whose story was the surprise from Frog and Toad all year. Right. By Arnold Lobel. And then Henry's Cat. Oh. Uh, in the slot where now Dominic Littlewood bellows <sighs> at a window. <laughs> They're going to nick your stuff. They're going to nick it. It's, they're going to get it all. It's, it's, it's not even a program. They're just. They're, it's just like security camera footage no. of Dominic Littlewood bothering people. Yeah, and that, and then uh, what's his name? Ma, 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 Martin from uh, Homes Under the Bosphorus. Home, homes, some, some about homes under a thing, roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see they, they, they needed that in nineteen eighty six as they had five to eleven. Right. Uh, um, uh, five to eleven. <laughs> <Is that me? laughs> it's Which, a lot. Uh, it's quite heavily numbers based. This this lineup, isn't it? It really is. Uh, it was a thought for the day with Dora Bryan. Okay. Uh, it was basically a boring, vaguely religious, yeah, uh, thing. Which uh, I believe our friend Tim Worthington has written about. Uh, on his blog, you have yeah, to search for that. He uh, covered the five to eleven stuff a little while ago, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, eleven o'clock was a Gardener's World special with Jeff Hamilton, right. which is an oxymoron. <laughs> what is it? What? What? What you say? I mean, I, I, I was my dad used to make me. Well, he didn't make me watch Gardener's World. It was like if you want to stay up. It's Gardner's World. It was like, and it was like that before the comedy program at nine on a Friday. Oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? I used to catch the end of it fairly regularly. Yeah. Yeah. I when I used to work at Game, which I remind you was between two thousand and two thousand and four. One of our most popular selling items was Jeff Hamilton's Garden Designer, which I, is interesting because he died in nineteen ninety six. I was going to say so, it was long gone by then, wasn't it? Oh yes, oh yes, and he was still on the front of the box with a spade and a big grin. So <laughs> that sounds more unsettling than it should be. It really, yeah. Uh, one of the ones that did survive in this slot for a long time at eleven thirty, open air, which was your chance to talk back about the programs uh, oh, yeah. with the people who made them. Twelve twenty-five, star memories. Each day for the next two weeks, Nick Ross asks the stars what their favorite television memories are. <laughs> Today, of course, being nineteen eighty-six, he talks to Sue Pollard. <laughs> And asks if she knows any celebrities that might have anecdotes. Can he give us Ted Bovis's number? <laughs> uh, at one o'clock, it's the one o'clock news. Uh, Sensible. Which is very helpful. Genome, which obviously provides listings for all the BBC stuff uh, for many, many years, mm-hmm. lists the contributors. And it's put unknown, Martin Lewis, mm-hmm. and unknown, Weather Michael. Oh, good old Weather Michael. <laughs> He, he was always my best one on news. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure where the fish bit went, but yeah, the weather, Michael. That's what we knew him as. 
And then at 125, well, hold on to your trousers as we're about to meet the neighbours for the first time. Yes, neighbours uh, oh. finally made it to British TV. And in this uh, first one, we uh, we meet the neighbours. Mm-hmm. And Danny Ramsey's recurring nightmares cause concern when the happiest day of Des's life turns sour. Oh, no. Now, I remember what happened there. I don't know if you do. I don't. Basically, there was a stripper right. uh, at his uh, stag do. Okay. Uh, which was Daphne, who he later married. Right. And then died horribly and really Indeed. upsettingly. Yeah, yeah, uh, After that, brick a brack uh, the Seesaw programme, the close show repeat, an uneeding line repeat. Wow. And episode one of a sitcom called Valerie, which had uh, premiered on March the 1st in 1986 in America. Mm-hmm. And this was a Valerie Harper sitcom. She'd, she'd been very famous as Rhoda. Okay, yeah. And she basically played her mother who was trying to juggle her career with raising three sons and an absent airline pilot husband. But basically, she said, hang on, this contract is bullshit and I uh, I want to sort this out. And they went, okay, then kill the character off. <laughs> Find her from the series following contractual disputes. Uh, so they renamed it Valerie's Family. Right. Uh, and then later, the Hogan Family. Okay. I mean, interesting. Mm. Uh, and then it was old kids programs. So that concludes daytime TV as it was in 1986. Well... Uh, and our final story today comes from 1988, and it, it's just a, a little story, a fun story at the end, you know, like an and finally yes. kind of thing. Uh, Hustler magazine publisher Larry Flint allegedly offered a hitman $1 million to kill Playboy magazine founder Hugh Hefner, publisher Walter Annenberg, penthouse publisher Bob Guccione, and Frank Sinatra. Well, that's... <laughs> that's... that's I, I feel yep. like that, mm. you know, you'd be getting a bargain if you got all of those for a single payment, wouldn't you? That would and be... For one million, it's pretty much, you know, yeah. bang on bargains. But the one million was never paid, however, as a reported hitman, Mitchell L. Werbel, died of a heart attack in December 1983 after uh, he received the check from Flint, allegedly. And... I, I like that you said hitman. Like Spider-Man. <laughs> he was a hitman. Werbel called himself an advisor to the Green Berets in Vietnam and a retired general of the Royal Free Afghan Army, according to promotional material. Wow. From his counter-terrorism firm, Psionics Inc. And, uh, basically, yeah, they, they, can't, they could never prove it because uh, this guy died. But a publicist for Frank Sinatra said he, he was en route to Reno and therefore she was unable to contact him but would leave a message at the hotel asking him to call. So, they'll never know what Frank thought about the man <laughs> who uh, done, uh, you know, you could see Lassie's fannies in magazines. Good. You know, they'll never know. They'll never know. But it's a lovely place to end this week's episode on. No time to talk about 1998. Charles Hawtrey dying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1992, where Tipper Gore, wife of the future VP, of course, admitted to covering the clock in her VCR with black tape so she wouldn't have to look at it blinking. Good. 
And No Time to Talk About 2016, in which a letter John Lennon wrote to the Queen explaining why he was returning his MBE was found tucked in a record sleeve in a car boot. Uh, apparently the owner took the document to a valuation day and discovered it was worth £60,000. Wow. Uh, and presumably it said in crayon, Piss off, Queen! I am John Lemons. Brackets Beetle. Oh dear. Sadly, you know, no, we can't talk about them as it's the end of the show. Uh, thank you again for listening and telling people, sharing this on Twitter. All that stuff helps us immensely. It does, it really and does. all those people who help us a little bit further by chucking three quid at us a month for Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash don't let's chat, where they get these episodes a week early. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice just to have you aboard uh, as we sail ever closer into. Death, <laughs> doom. I don't good, know. good. No, I, I, I wanted to say gutten doom. No, I don't. I don't know where you're going with this. I've no idea. I've lost it. I've completely lost it. <laughs> so until next time, I have been nylon, and I have been the final two holes of a golf course before I die. <laughs> good books. Like, because it's Halloween. Yeah, no, no. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, just stay indoors. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> and no time to talk about 2016. Where a letter John Letter wrote. Uh, John Letter? John. John Letter. Did he invent the letter, Ben? John Letter. <laughs> no, that's Ian Letter. You know With that. his friend Keith Envelope. Was that. <laughs> And Brian Stamp. (laughs) (laughs) They took the whole thing to Ken Post Office to sign off on it. Come on, Ben. (laughs) Steve, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) What did he invent, Ben? These fingers. (laughs) Uh, Right.